and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode. Very excited to have this conversation with two experts about buses in New York City, bus riders, bus speeds, how we make the buses go faster in New York City under the next mayor, Eric Adams, what the de Blasio bus legacy looks like, and much more related to public transit here in New York City that conversation in just a second. If you've missed any recent episodes here of Max Politics, find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Have had some really great conversations in recent weeks and months, highlighted by in-depth discussions with each of the seven candidates for New York City Council Speaker. That election will be held by council members in January, although anytime here in December, the choice could be announced if one of those speaker candidates secures the requisite 26 votes of the 51-seat city council. But I've had a chance in the recent in recent months to talk at length with each of those seven city council members trying to become the next speaker in an immensely powerful position that is selected by the members of that legislative body. But there's lots of other players on the field, of course, members of Congress, advocates, labor unions, the mayor-elect himself, of course, and others. So those have been some highlights in recent months, but I've also had some other great guests here on the show, including also right around the time of this conversation, the president of the city's teachers union, Michael Mulgrew, talking about uh, the status of city schools in this pandemic school year, another pandemic school year with schools largely reopened and where things stand with vaccine mandates, learning loss, and so much more, as well as the United Federation of Teachers relationship with Mayor-elect Eric Adams. So check out that conversation. And there's others, but I won't go into all those details because we want to get to today's conversation. So joining me today to talk about the buses in New York City and what the next mayor and other power players should do to improve the experience for bus riders in the city to increase ridership on buses and increase bus speeds, I have two Expert guest, Danny Perlstein, is Policy and Communications Director at the Riders Alliance. Danny, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. And Ben Freed is Communications Director at Transit Center. Ben, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here, Ben. All right, Danny, Ben, uh, I, uh, listeners don't know this, but I asked you a little bit last minute to do this because there was an event uh, that your organizations both participated in just the day before we're talking here uh, about buses and about urging uh, the next mayor to do more on buses. So Danny, start us off, just give us a little sense of what action uh, your organizations were helping to spearhead uh, and, and what the message was. So yesterday we launched our latest storybook collection from Transit Riders, Bus Rider Blues. And we did it in front of City Hall because the New York City mayor has a tremendous amount to do with how fast and reliable our bus service is. And right now it's fairly bluesy. And so while there have been some mixed successes in the de Blasio administration, we're hoping that the next administration, you know, buses will hit their stride and that robust policies favoring better bus service will really take hold. And we were actually joined at the last minute there um, by acting MTA chair and CEO, Jano Lieber, who said he is as dissatisfied as bus riders are with the speed and reliability of buses on city streets. And he also has high hopes for the next administration. 
right? And he's not without responsibility and the MTA is not without responsibility there, but there's a lot, uh, as you say, that the mayor can do. Let's let's come back to the MTA role there and Jana Lieber's message, but uh, either of you, help paint the picture for folks of the status of, of city buses. I see from the Riders Alliance uh, announcement of this event at City Hall that you held um, yesterday. We're, we're talking here on December 8th, this, so this was December 7th, your event, um, that New York City has the nation's largest and slowest bus system, and uh, it, you know buses are, are often caught in traffic gridlock. What's the landscape? How, how can you capture for people uh, the status of bus ridership and the status of the, the speed of city buses? So um, the bus system is hugely important for the city's overall transportation system and economic health. Uh, typically, before the pandemic, uh, people in New York made more than 2 million bus trips every day. Um, so this is just a huge part of how people get around. It covers parts of the city that the subway doesn't reach. And um, it really serves, uh, you know, people who tend to be, um, tend to have lower incomes. Uh, bus riders also are predominantly people of color. Um, the bus system is even more important in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods. Um, uh, bus riders are more likely to be immigrants. It really is the transportation system that, um, you know, blue collar New Yorkers that the incoming mayor said he was going to represent rely on. Um, and the thing is, it's been in long-term decline for about two decades. Uh, ridership has been on a, the downswing for about 20 years um, and speeds, is, um, you know, they keep getting slower. Uh, and an interesting thing that happened during the pandemic was, um, you know, early on, as travel dried up around the city, we saw bus speeds increase a lot, 15% practically overnight. Um, and so that is an indication of how much uh, the mayor by managing traffic and implementing bus lanes could do because bus lanes are basically creating those types of conditions every day instead of just during uh, you know, this crazy circumstance of a pandemic. Um, so things keep getting worse, but there's a huge uh, amount of room for improvement. And there's a lot that the Adams administration can do to improve this mode of travel that so many New Yorkers rely on. Yeah, and let's let's get to those solutions in just a second. Danny, anything to add, sort of capturing the picture of bus ridership in the city? Um, uh, bus speeds generally are somewhere around seven miles per hour or something like that. Go, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> so bus ridership has proven incredibly resilient or inelastic compared with subway ridership. There was a long period during the pandemic when bus ridership, which is usually about 40% of subway ridership actually outpaced subway ridership outright. And that was in part because buses were free. Um, but overall, you know, where the subway is hovering at about 50% of pre-pandemic ridership, the bus is at 70%. And so that means that the bus is, is a real lifeline. There are a lot fewer, so to speak, choice riders on the bus, because again, who would choose such a, a poorly prioritized mode of transportation, you know, out of, unless out of necessity. Um, but that said, the state of bus service is even worse than we think. Um, we think of it as this 7.4 mile an hour, you know, worst average bus speed in the nation. But actually, the average bus rider or the median rider doesn't ride at the average time of day when bus speeds are approaching 7.4 miles an hour. They're a lot more likely to be on during a crunch time, a busy hour where bus speeds hover at three or four miles an hour. My daughter and I, you know, we had this 
absolutely miserable three mile trip across the Bronx, you know, a couple of weeks ago during rush hour when the, the Fordham Road select bus service, a marquee service in the city was crawling along at roughly three miles an hour. And so, you know, even there, you know, with with bus enhancements already in place, tentatively, bus service was absolutely unacceptable. And, and that is actually closer to the regular bus riders reality. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of the sense of, uh, of down 30 or so percent still in bus ridership, um, do we know what generally, you know, that can be attributed to? Uh, there's obviously still 400,000 plus jobs that haven't come back. Uh, I assume that's part of it. Um, any other, any, do we know, uh, you know, who exactly is missing from the buses that were riding the buses pre-pandemic? I don't think we have solid uh, demographic data on that, but I would attribute it mostly just to the, the decline in overall activity. Like you said, um, you know, the jobs that aren't coming back, the commutes that people aren't making. Um, right, work from home. The activities they're not doing that they usually do. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, so we're, we're, we're anticipating the mayoralty of Eric Adams, um, but break down a little bit here, um, just a primer for folks who, who aren't as familiar as both of you or even me in, a, in another tier down from you, uh, but, but who aren't as familiar with who controls what when it comes to buses and why the chair of the MTA, which runs you know, New York City uh, subways and buses, would be showing up at your rally to, to really point at City Hall as the main player here. Um, where's the powers lie and, um, and who... In conjunction with that, over these last several years where we've seen much more attention on the state taking responsibility for the MTA and the city taking responsibility for the streets, sort of how is that how is that played out? Well, it's that the buses run on the streets and the streets are public property that belongs to the corporation of the city of New York, which has existed and owned the streets since before there was a United States, before there was a state of New York, um, you know, for centuries. Um, and the mayor is essentially the trustee of that incredibly precious public space that we call our streets. And, you know, we're learning, you know, through open streets and the bike boom and the car boom, just how it is that the uses of the street change and they evolve. And what Ben Matt, what Fried just described was how they've devolved for bus service, that, that traffic has worsened and no one's done anything about it for a few decades. And that's driven people off the bus if they have another option. But what we're asking is that it evolve, right? And in, in a sense that there be a revolution on our streets and that traffic lanes be emptied of cars to prioritize buses and in particular bus riders who haven't gotten a fair shake um, and who deserve far better. And if we if we want to make our streets work a lot better, mind you, we can't improve them for cars. There's no way to transform the streets so that many more people can drive faster, right? We simply don't have the space. It's simply too inefficient. But if we want streets that move better for buses, for ambulances, for fire trucks, for the distribution of essential goods, then we need to prioritize those things rather than unfettered access by private cars. Now, Ben, the MTA has a has a role here. Uh, what, how do you describe the MTA powers and role? I mean, at the very least, it's coordinating the bus routes. Uh, what else falls under MTA purview here? Yeah, there's a few buckets that fall under the MTA. Like you said, it's the routes where the buses actually go. So that is stuff like the bus network redesigns that the MTA has been uh, recently restarting. Um, then there's also fair collection that, that factors into bus speeds. If you allow people to board 
at any door of the bus, which we can do now with Omni, um, that tends to result in faster, more reliable service than in, when everyone has to line up and pay a single file. Um, you know, that adds a lot of drag uh, to the amount of time that buses spend standing still. So that's on the MTA. Um, and where are we at on all door boarding? Uh, there's been some um, some promising movements uh, since uh, Governor Cuomo left the scene. Um, the MTA has recently uh, said that they are going to do this. That was something they hadn't really spoken about for you know a couple of years. Like in between when Andy Byford left and when Governor Cuomo resigned, there was really no movement on that at all. Um, so now we're, we're starting to see something with, uh, they're gonna pilot that on several routes um, and hopefully that will lead to system-wide uh, adoption. Interesting. Um, all right, so Mayor de Blasio has not been totally inactive on buses. Um, Danny characterized some of his his movement and, you know, generally speaking, his his bus legacy. Obviously, um, I think it goes, you know, really without saying it's not particularly controversial, I don't think, or debatable to say he hasn't done enough to improve bus speeds and therefore, you know, travel time for, for many New Yorkers who rely on buses. Um, but how would you capture sort of what he's done and, you know, the biggest things that he's sort of either been slow on or left on the on the cutting room floor? Oh, well, why don't we start with his successes? So Mayor de Blasio ultimately endorsed and supported and uplifted a great successful partnership between the city and the MTA that blossomed even throughout his incredibly acrimonious relationship with former Governor Cuomo, and that is the 14th Street Busway. It grew out of the planned L train shutdown, which eventually turned into a slowdown. But they did the 14th Street Busway anyway because Andy Byford at New York City Transit and Polly Trottenberg, then the DOT commissioner, spearheaded it and devoted you know years of work to it. And it and it happened. And it it happened you know ultimately after a series of lawsuits. And so it it opened up you know just a few months before the pandemic. But it instantly boosted bus speeds and ridership on 14th Street by a third. Um, and and you know there's been even more success in a way on Main Street in Flushing, um, where by some accounts bus speeds are up 50 percent. Um, and so by innovating and implementing these busways known as um, truck and transit pilot, priority pilot projects, the TTPP, um, where you can have deliveries, right? So you can have those essential, you know, goods and services coming down the street along with buses, but not have the street open, you know, for, for lengthy car traffic, you can dramatically speed up buses and improve service for riders. And so not only did de Blasio prove that concept, but he also got it battle tested because there was litigation and the city consistently won. You know, the cases were just thrown out. Um, so, you know, there was sort of a movement lawyer in Manhattan, but there was a high priced, fancy white shoe lawyer hired by real estate titans in Flushing. And he also got thrown out of court. So we now know and the Adams administration will know from day one that they can feel confident doing these projects, that the mayor, what the mayor says goes on city streets as far as bus priority. And that's that's fantastic. Um, you know, I think that the struggle that the Blasio administration has faced, you know, on this front is uh, similarly on other fronts is that. It, it takes a lot to end the tale of two cities and to, to make New York demonstrably fairer. And I think that they've accepted that better buses is a matter of basic equity, that given the demographics of people on the bus, like Ben Fried described, the city would be much fairer if it had much faster buses, but they weren't able to scale that all across the city. Um, and consistently they set relatively modest targets for bus priority projects and they 
consistently failed to meet those targets. Um, and they were they were waylaid by, you know, a shortage of resources at DOT or a shortage of political commitment from, from the mayor. I think, you know, the most embarrassing case is obviously the Fifth Avenue busway, you know, which the Times got hold of a, a presentation from a real estate titan that, that de Blasio was hoping to court for his potential campaign for governor, who claimed that, that fast buses scare tourists <laughs> as if, um, if only. And, and, you know, canceled or postponed, you know, that project into the next administration. So that, that's that's a, a, a blot, you know, on his legacy. Um, but a bright spot is the streets plan. Um, and so what we've just seen in the last week is the presentation from DOT of the streets plan, which was, again, like Fair Fair, something pushed by the council um, and Corey Johnson. Um, and they, they released a plan this year for implementation beginning next year. Um, and, you know, there were some like pretty strong transformative arguments in the plan. It was a little bit light on specifics, especially as far as bus priority projects go. But either way, the next administration is going to be held to a benchmark of 20 new bus lane miles in the first year and then 30 miles in each succeeding year for a total of 150 miles in the first five years. You know, and assuming Adams is reelected, it's it's all going to be Adams for those 150 miles. There's a lot that can be done. And so we're going to start to see the needle move if we can get those projects done in full and on time and successfully enforce them, because that's the other piece of it is, is a, a culture change, a structure of enforcement and incentives to prevent bus lanes from being blocked, often by official vehicles, right, often by NYPD patrol cars, you know, and, and I think that, you know, we need to look at innovative solutions like, like incentives to keep patrol cars out of bus lanes, you know, like, if you do a good job and never drive in a bus lane, there's a vacation day for you or something else like that. Um, but we need to look at that, um, because we need to keep bus lanes clear for them to work well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, all right, Ben Freed, the um, the transit center right after the election put out this, uh, you know, this plan, this agenda um, for the next mayor, Eric Adams. Um, you know, we kind of knew that he was very likely to be the next mayor as of winning the primary, which was officially, you know, um, declared in, in July. But uh, a bus agenda for New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Um, what are the biggest pieces of that and where has Adams either said he's on board or not on board or not made his position uh, clear at this point? I think the first big thing we're going to look for is who Mayor Adams appoints as transportation commissioner. Um, If he goes with someone who has experience in the field, who has a track record of pulling off ambitious transit priority projects, that's going to be an excellent sign. Um, for the next four to eight years. Um, If he goes with someone who's more of a a political appointee, uh, patronage pick, um, that's not going to bode very well. So that's very early on. Um, It it matters who you put in that position and the confidence the mayor uh, gives to that person to make change happen on the streets. Um, And then, uh, you know, I think As Danny said, we want to see more bus lanes, we want to see better bus lanes, and we want to see the bus lane network managed so that it actually performs the way it's supposed to. Um, And that is going to entail, you know, programs that keep commercial vehicles out of bus lanes, government vehicles out of bus lanes, especially uh, police and other placard holders. Um, You know, that is something that the current mayor never really got serious about. Um, and Mayor Adams is going to have to turn that around. Uh, and during the campaign, um, you know, he did come out in favor of the streets master plan and the goal of creating 150 uh, new miles of bus lanes. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's one thing to 
put out a campaign statement. It's another thing to deliver on that um, while you're governing. Uh, and, um, you know, Adams has said he's been supportive of, of the stuff we tried to do with the bus turnaround campaign. Um, uh, at the same time, I think we're going to have to stay on top of him because, uh, you know, he said a few things during the campaign that were kind of dismissive of the idea that, you know, following the rules about bus lanes matters. Uh, I think he had a press conference where he mocked some of his opponents for saying that double parking was a problem. Um, you know, double parking is a problem if you're a bus rider. It is incredibly frustrating. You're going down the street on the bus and, uh, you know, one double parks delivery truck can really mess up your trip and cost you minutes. And that is happening, you know, block after block on these neighborhood commercial streets. So it's a big deal. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, Mayor Adams has to uh, build on what the de Blasio administration got right and, you know, correct the shortcomings uh, of the last eight years of bus policy. When we say bus lanes, there's obviously the bus ways, which are a small number at this point of stretches where there's almost no other traffic allowed besides the buses. That's the 14th Street busway that Danny was talking about, uh, the Main Street flushing one. But these are relatively, uh, well, they're, they're a varied length and they limit traffic significantly. But that's when we talk about bus lanes, the bulk of them are what we call dedicated bus lanes, correct? To say a little bit more about when we talk about adding 150 more uh, bus lane miles in the next uh, several years, what does that actually look like and mean? Anybody jump in? I mean, I'll, I'll let me. I'll just start and then and Ben, please jump in. But I, you know, the devil is in the details. I think that that's right. You know, we've seen that with enforcement, and that not every bus lane is created equal or works just as well as any other. Um, and we've certainly argued that obviously placement is important. That bus lanes need to be placed in areas of high congestion and high ridership to get the, the biggest bang for our buck, of course. But as we build out a network of bus lanes, right, we're we're going to move beyond those areas and, and provide faster trips, you know, throughout the corridors, throughout the length of bus routes. Um, but we do need sufficient time coverage to do that. And I know initially with 14th Street, you know, the mayor had sort of made this argument that it should be a rush hour bus lane as if as if rush hour was the big problem. But then you look at traffic speeds on 14th Street and what happens is, you know, they dip during the morning rush hour and then they dip all day afterwards because, it, you know, the streets get more and more and more crowded after a sort of a mid-morning trough, you know, reaching a crescendo, you know, at, at five, six o'clock. And so that's why we needed all day bus lanes, you know, all day bus ways on 14th Street, you know, and that's the argument in favor of all day, every day, you know, potentially even 24 hour so that bus riders can count on reliably fast trips. Um, and that and that's, I think, what it'll take, you know, for the for the discussion at the limit, which is actually getting people onto the bus, right? We're talking about delivering for the million plus New Yorkers, maybe 2 million plus New Yorkers who need the bus now. But there are a lot of other folks who would be taking better buses if they were a lot better. And, and to win those folks, they need to be able to count on faster trips. And that's how we start to deliver those as, as fully, you know, functional busways 24-7. I live near the Church Avenue um, bus lane that was recently dedicated not that long ago. Um, you know, it's, it seems to be working pretty well. I haven't seen a lot of data on it. It's still fairly new. Um, double parking, you know, again, anecdotal, but, you know, I'm basing this on sort of what things look like in this 
busy neighborhood stretch. It's not downtown Brooklyn. It's not, you know, the busiest parts of Manhattan, but it's an extremely busy stretch of uh, this part of Brooklyn. And again, I see, you know, largely see the buses flying along pretty well, you know, in one dedicated lane of traffic, and then the cars are in the other. But as you've both gotten at, sometimes there's somebody, you know, pulled over in the bus lane to run something in, pick something up, whatever it might be, and it mucks, you know, everything up. So that goes back to, you know, more of a culture shift and, and of course, enforcement. Um, but but that's that's kind of the model that we're talking about here, along with the expansion of busways where it seems to, you know, make the most sense. Anything, you know, I'm missing there or are we talking about um, – you know, do you want to see more implementation of, you know, bus dedicated bus lanes where it's very difficult to get in and out? You know, there's barriers of some kind. Is that part of the vision or where do, the, where do those come in? Yeah, I think so. Those are um, there's a there's something in between the uh, traffic restricted uh, car free busway and the sort of uh, typical curbside bus lane. And that is uh, center running busway. Um, so these are have some separation between buses and traffic and the buses are running in the center of the street. So they don't have all that friction with, uh, you know, drivers who may be making pickups and drop offs. And we do have a bus lane like that um, on um, uh, Edward, Edward L. Grant Highway um, in Highbridge in the Bronx. Um, that's a relatively new project from DOT. Um, we know we can make that design work on other streets, uh, Fordham Road. Uh, really stands out as a place that could use that type of, um, uh, you know, stronger busway design. Um, I know in other American cities, this design is picking up speed. Boston just implemented uh, a center running bus lane on, uh, I think it's Columbus Avenue. Um, so this is something we can do in New York. And I think it would really uh, improve the performance of a lot of our bus lanes. I've heard from people um, who've gotten tickets on uh, on this Church Avenue stretch um, that seem to be automated camera enforcement um, tickets for driving in the bus lane. Um, is that something? What what's the status of that type of enforcement? And is that something that I assume you want to see expanded basically to every to every bus lane um, in the city? And then it, it, there's also transit signal priority um, and and that technology, um, if somebody could just address that a little bit, that's part of the streets master plan to, um, to extend that to thousands of intersections. Um, so on those two fronts, uh, automated enforcement or, or bus operated enforcement and, um, transit signal priority, where do we stand on those? I mean, I think those are both our components of, of, you know, we'd like to think of as smarter streets, maybe not, not really inter objectively smart, but smarter streets. Um, you know, the state has certainly liberalized liberalized the rules of bus lane camera enforcement. Um, and that was a big milestone legislation passed 2019. And, and it's really now on the city and the MTA to roll that out. And transit signal priority, you know, which is the sort of green light preference for buses, that's something that DOT has made a breakthrough in terms of the speed of implementation. And so the streets plan sort of holds them to a much higher standard than they were at previously on doing it. And basically it, it holds green lights for buses a little bit longer. It turns them green sooner. Um, you know, and, and in certain cases allows them to sort of get a head start, um, a queue jump over over a line of cars. 
Um, and those are really important because our buses, you know, we say one reason we need bus redesign is that our buses spend 20% of their time stopped at bus stops. They spend another, another 20% of their time stopped at red lights. And so transit signal priority can cut down on that. And then, of course, there's a 60% of time spent in slow traffic that bus lanes can help with. So there really are ways we can target all of the different ways that buses are delayed to speed trips. And, you know, if some of that is on the MTA, a big chunk of that is on the city. In our last few minutes here, a um, couple couple other things. Um, these MTA uh, bus route redesigns are in progress. They, Staten Island's completed, I believe, and uh, the Bronx uh, is, is... The Staten Island Express buses has been implemented, uh, but not the local buses on Staten. Oh, okay. All right. So the, these are... been designed, but they, they have not yet implemented it. Right. So these are still sort of in their early phase of redesigning the bus networks, which as far as everybody I've spoken to is very needed. These are antiquated uh, route systems, important. There's a lot of discussion about not only adding some of the buses that, uh, you know, go faster, um, you know, stop fewer times, but about even on the local buses, eliminating stops and, um, you know, questions around, changing routes to hopefully adjust to more modern, you know, travel patterns. And the fact that there's a lot, you know, it's not, uh, there's a lot of differences in how people are living and where people need to get to go that when, when these routes were designed, but changing the routes, eliminating a lot of bus stops, you guys have any concerns, you know, about some of this and, and, you know, especially people who are elderly, disabled, uh, you know, people with kids that ride the bus, you know, there's a lot of categories of people who, you know, when you start to skip uh, bus routes, you know, they, they might uh, bus stops, you know, they might wind up opting for more cars. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the MTA, especially, but of course, working with the city, striking the right balance there and what your thoughts are as that process proceeds. I'll take okay, that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's first. You guys are so polite. I'm used to, I'm used to elected officials where you don't have to invite anybody to, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't even finish my questions and they're jumping in. So <laughs> anyway, um, go ahead, Ben. Yeah. So um, there are, there are a lot of bus routes where the bus is stopping every block or so. Um, some stops are just like two or 300 feet apart. Um, so what we're talking about really, if we're consolidating these bus stops is maybe adding a block or two to someone's walking trip. Um, we do want to be very intentional about that. We don't want to um, add uh, a lot of walking time um, in places where a lot of seniors uh, are relying on the bus. Um, I would also hope that the Adams administration can do some uh, targeted sidewalk improvements. So like the quality of people's pedestrian experience is very good on, on bus routes. Um, but if you talk to bus riders, uh, you know, when we see surveys, people know that they are losing so much time from the bus stopping so frequently. It's very frustrating to be on the bus and to just have it stop every single block. Um, and so, you know, those, I think the, the Bronx bus network redesign eliminates 400 stops. Um, and, uh, you know, when people feel that in their trip, you know, they, they appreciate that they're in motion more and getting where they're going faster. Mm -hmm. 400, do you know what the current total number of stops um, is? I mean, what, as a percent, you know, that's, I mean, that sounds like a lot, right? And, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So some no. people, that sounds like a great thing. It's a lot. And some people might say, wow, that's a lot of stops you're eliminating. And to my point, you know, is there a, 
you know, is there a point where it's challenging for a lot of people? That, that is, um, I think it is less than 10% of stops. Um, and okay. so that, that, that puts it in yeah, a little bit of a different perspective, but still, yeah. Okay. I think citywide there's, uh, 16, 17,000 bus stops. Um, and you know, when you think about it, like you're, you're taking out like one bus stop, uh, between it, you're, you're adding maybe a few hundred feet to someone's walk to the bus. Mm-hmm. Danny, did you want to jump in on that? Okay. So, um, lastly, uh, or maybe last two things, the other, the other question is, you know, where the tilt goes, you guys obviously have perspectives on this, your organizations do, you're representing, you know, bus riders and you're, uh, advocating for bus riders and such, but, you know, where the, the balance has to be struck in terms of it's, there's a lot of people who drive around the city for, for work reasons. Um, there's a lot of people who drive around for other reasons, mobility issues, et cetera. Um, and, and how to strike that balance to make sure that, you know, once you're dedicating more lanes, you're creating more busways, you're, you're speeding things up a lot for the people that that works for, but where you, you know, where the cutoff point is and how you assess that for the people that for, you know, lack of a better term, need to be in a car, in a van, um, getting around the city and their quality of life and their trips and how you sort of assess that balance. Obviously buses carry many more people than individual cars. We know that, um, this is not, you know, in any way to argue against some of the improvements that you're calling for, but I'm just curious at this point, as you have seen a a good bit of progress on your agenda under, you know, mayor de Blasio in his final, uh, months and years again with caveats, and you have an incoming mayor who said a lot of the things that you're happy about him saying again, to advance, um, the agenda that you're putting forward, how you think about that balance. First, it's not, it's not a zero sum game, right? It's, it's not, um, traffic doesn't just move just because you put a bus lane here, everyone moves over to the next lane. No people cancel and combine trips. Um, And that is something that is very well established in all manner of so-called road diet projects or road reduction projects. You know, all the different instances we've had in the United States where our infrastructure crumbled and highways fell over. You know, it's not like all of those cars just suddenly went to the street below, right? When the West Side Highway disappeared in New York, you know, it it didn't create Carmageddon, which is which is a term coined in L.A., when uh, there was much anticipated Carmageddon um, because the freeway interchange was being closed for the weekend and, and didn't happen. Um, and the same is true you know, with the 14th Street busway. There was a lot of paranoia that um, cars were just going to inundate the surrounding bucolic streets of Greenwich Village and Chelsea, and it, it didn't occur at all. And, and car speeds didn't change really at all. Um, so so there's there's the hysteria around that that is, is not well-founded. Um, and then there's also that, you know, again, it, it's it's a little bit complicated because you're talking in some cases about working drivers of delivery trucks or of service vehicles that actually can use, legally can use bus lanes and, and bus ways in many cases um, that, that are being welcomed. There are, you know, certain ways in which vehicles that transport people who have disabilities are treated differently from other vehicles and certainly under congestion pricing, for example, that we don't have yet, but as, as a companion policy, you know, they'll be exempt by state law. Um, so there is a way of of treating people who have a 
a stronger argument in favor of using a private vehicle in public space than others. Um, and I think that it's important that we do that. I think at the same time, it's important that as we go through any sort of public appro approval process for, for any bus priority project, we have to recognize who has the loudest voices and that public participants are not equal and, and don't deserve equal weight because you might be thinking about several thousand people who use a bus route that's constantly mired in traffic um, that, that wastes huge amounts of time in their day and they have all these other obligations and they don't have time to show up to a Zoom meeting, much less an in-person meeting to voice their concerns. Meanwhile, you have drivers you know, who are, who are wealthier, who are better resourced, who may be retired, you know, who have, who have plenty of time on their hands to complain. Um, and I think that, you know, it's sometimes hard for elected officials to, to discern between the, the different groups and their sort of claim on the public decision-making process. But I think it's increasingly well understood that equity in the process is as important as to, to reach an equitable outcome. And that, you know, it, it's not so much that the drivers have sort of had too good of a deal and, and, and now deserve the short end of the stick, you know, to mix metaphors, as just that there needs to be a thumb on the scale in favor of people who have less access to the public decision-making process. And, and that is overwhelmingly a group that includes bus riders. And Ben, I want you to jump in on this and, and we'll wrap it up. But um, is part of this saying to some fairly significant group of people, listen, it's slightly less convenient for you to take the bus, uh, but just you got to you got to just start doing it for the greater good. I mean, is that sort of missing from this conversation at all? Go ahead, Ben. I mean, I think there's a lot of people at any given moment who could tip either way. And if we have a system where, um, you know, their decision leans toward driving and they're making a lot of discretionary car trips, that makes the whole system work worse for everyone, including other people who have to drive. Um, so if you can design a system that tips that decision toward transit and toward the bus, um, you know, this is a, an option for a lot of people um, who aren't currently using it. Uh, you know, that's going to make the system work better for everyone, including people who have to drive. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where I, I'd land on that. I, I know there are other, I think the best comp to New York is London and London manages to, manages to work really well in a system where people are making uh, more bus trips and fewer car trips. Yeah, I mean, if we if we look at our history, right, I mean, like, you know, people people charge a lot of things with social engineering these days. But I would argue it was social engineering, right, to bulldoze thousands of homes to to build the Cross Bronx or the Brooklyn Queens Expressway across, you know, vibrant city neighborhoods in the mid-20th century, right? People called Polly Trottenberg Robert Moses because she wanted a 14th Street busway that evicted exactly zero people, right? So there's a lot of, of, of heated rhetoric that's flying, but at the end of the day, you know, there was a huge amount of social engineering that enhanced and increased dependence on cars. And we have to undo a lot of that to make the city work better for everybody. And that's at root what bus priority projects are about. All right, we're going to leave it there. Danny Perlstein is Policy and Communications Director at the Riders Alliance. Ben Freed is Communications Director at Transit Center. Thank you both for the time and the thoughts. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thanks, Ben.